Welcome to our ACOFB podcast, DOFM. My name is Rachel Suzette. I'm the vice president of the National Student Executive Board. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Becker. Uh, Dr. Becker is a graduate from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. He completed family medicine training and has worn many hats in his career, including program director for a family medicine residency program at the PCUM Mercy Suburban Hospital, and is now currently the associate dean of clinical education at PCOM. So thanks, Dr. Becker, for joining us today. Um, Thank you for asking me to, to speak. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I think we can sort of jump right into some questions about your career and your um, sort of path through family medicine. So do you mind sort of outlining the career path that got you to your current positions that you hold now? Um, sure. Uh, so um, it goes way back because uh, I'm a class of 87 graduate. So in those days, we all did a rotating osteopathic internship. And I did mine at a hospital that was called Metropolitan Parkview Division in Northeast Philly. And um, from the second year of medical school through my internship, um, everybody knew that I wanted to be an obstetrician. Um, so, you know, I did my full year at Parkview, which was a tremendous experience. It was difficult, but it was one of the best learning experiences of my life. Uh, because I got to do things, not just OB, but I was in the ICU, in the emergency department, on medical floors for a few months. And I, I um, really enjoyed all the training I received at Parkview. So um, I was accepted to be the one OBGYN resident that year for PCOM, because at the time there was four uh, residents, one first year, second year, third year, and fourth year. That was it. And um, I, I was also accepted to be the OB resident of Parkview, but I wanted to be in an academic, more academic situation. So, or more in an academic center. So I took PCOM and um, I also got married uh, about one third into my residency. <laughs> and on my honeymoon, I said to my new wife, who still is my wife, by the way, um, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I, I don't want to be an obstetrician. And I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, I loved OB, I loved GYN, but I realized I missed taking care of one half of the population. Um, and I really love medicine. I loved everything about medicine. I loved talking to patients. My favorite part of being an OB resident was running the clinic. So I told my program director, who by the way is my, my personal patient <laughs> to this day, um, that I just, I didn't want to do it, but I agreed to continue my year. Um, and, um, I let the other three residents do my surgeries because they needed to build up their census of cases for, um, certification. And I just ran the, the clinic. I still did call in those days. It was every fourth night, every fourth weekend, your weekend started Friday at 7am and you didn't leave the hospital till 5pm on Monday. So I did it all and um, I, I realized how could I get what I wanted um, professionally, uh, what, what other avenue could I take for my career? And I realized that family medicine was the, clearly the, um, the best uh, way that I could do the type of medicine that I wanted to practice. So um, I, uh, 
I know this is a long story and I apologize, but it's good for you guys to hear this. So I, I uh, in those days, you know, DOs were not as welcome in uh, allopathic residencies. So and keep in mind, I just completed two years of postgraduate training. So all the local MD programs said, well, yeah, we would love to have you with all your experience, but you have to start as a PGY-1. And I was about to go into my PGY-3 year, and there was no way I could do that. So I actually went to um, the hospital that I learned about osteopathic medicine from when my family moved out of the city in, into East Narn, Pennsylvania. It was a hospital called Suburban General. Suburban General was an osteopathic uh, hospital. And... Um, my family doctor was a guy named Dr. Harold Schreiber, uh, who is an amazing individual, um, and eventually became my boss 20 years later, basically. <laughs> but um, I, got, I got the residency. I didn't have to do my OBGYN rotations. They let me do more electives. And um, I started my career. Um, in terms of how I got to all this, um, I was in private practice with a group in Roxborough, in, which is where I was born, the Roxborough section of Philly. I worked there for a year and I didn't really like how it was all running. And I was offered a job at the end of my family medicine residency in Elkton, Maryland. And um, I called them up and they said, we'd love to have you come down. So my wife and my one-year-old son, we moved to Elkton and I, it was a great year. Um, I was the first DO in primary care down there, which was cool. And um, I, you know, I enjoyed it, but I got this call um, after the holidays of that, that year by a woman by the name of Joanne Jones. Now, Joanne Jones is now the, uh, the chief operating officer of PCOM Moultrie. So at the time, Joanne was working for the, the school and they needed somebody to be the fill-in doc at the healthcare center. So Cambria Street, Lancaster Avenue. Um, so I looked at it for two reasons. I'm like, I'm definitely doing this. One, my wife and I wanted to come home. Our family and friends were all here and people were coming down and spending weekends with us in Maryland, which was fun, but we wanted to be back home. And number two, I always wanted to work for the school. So I got hired as a clinical instructor. I was the filling guy at Cambria. I worked at Lancaster. And um, and that's how it worked out. So I moved all the way up. The practice in Suite 100 uh, on the campus was actually my practice. Uh, cool story, we had the Department of Family Medicine and the chairman of Family Medicine at the time when I was working there full-time uh, sold his practice to what was Allegheny Health Systems and moved across the street from the college and the college didn't have a family medicine office. So they stuck me on the fifth floor of Roland Hall and I was a solo doc for a couple of years. And then they put uh, uh, some of my friends that are to this day and classmates, Larry Finkelstein, and we started working together and we started that practice, which is now PCOM Family Medicine, which is kind of cool. Um, and when I was, when, when that was growing and I was teaching and I love teaching, I love teaching the students because I would have a student with me. I love lecturing in the family med department. And, um, uh, I, we ended up opening up and there was an office in Roxborough on Ridge Avenue that was kind of like the front of an old building. 
and PCOM um, decided they wanted to open up a big practice in Roxborough. So the college bought the Mrs. Paul's building, you know, the fish sticks. The Mrs. Paul's <laughs> building is across the street from D'Alessandro's steak shop, if you know where that is. Well, that was the building and they put myself and Dr. Ann Egan um, uh, and a brand new doctor who was my resident by the name of Dr. David Kuo. So the three of us ran PCOM Roxboro, and I was the medical director. Um, and uh, we did that. For, I did that for a couple of years, and then I got a call from Harold Schreiber, who was my old family doc at Suburban, who was the director of medical education, and said, "Would you like to come up and be the family medicine residency director?" Dr. Arnold Sokol was going to retire. Arnold was my program director, and um, that opportunity was not available to me at the college at the time we had a family med program and the uh the director was a really good uh, doc and um i talked to some people and a very important person uh, from pcom a woman by the name of carol fox who you may or may not know she was the dean of admissions at the time carol fox said to me something i'll never forget which is sometimes michael you need to leave to come back so I took the leap and I was the associate residency director and we built the program up. And then I, after a couple of years, I started, or I became the residency director. And at the time, the hospital at PCOM had closed and they bulldozed it. And um, at a meeting at ACOFP, Harry Morris, Dr. Harry Morris, who's the uh, chair of family medicine at PCOM, came up to me and said, Listen, would you like PCOM? to put our brand on the suburban, the Mercy Suburban Family Medicine Residency. And that way we would have a relationship with the college as well as we would have a really good program that the college could be proud of. And Suburban said, it's a great idea. So part of the deal was I was the residency director and Dr. David Kuo is the associate residency director because um, he was PCOM. <clears throat> so one day a week, I went to PCOM and David went up to Suburban and I worked for Harry Morris again. <laughs> um, so at the time we did that for a few years and then Harry, Dr. Morris was looking for somebody else to join the department and they weren't, they couldn't find the right person. And at the time I was really involved in doing more teaching than I was when I was a full-time employee at PCOM. And um you know, Dr. Morris and I are very close friends. We have a great relationship. And I said, well, would you be interested in me coming back? He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, how about if you make me your vice chairman of family medicine? He said, let me talk to Dr. Veit, who's our dean and provost. And um, they let me come back. So I left Suburban. And it was interesting because my one of my interns at the time was another famous ACUFP doctor by the name of Dr. Peter Biddy. Peter was my one of my three interns of that class when I left to come back in 09. And, um, you know, and uh, it's just, again, how life happens. Now I'm still working for Pete and Dave Kuo and Harry Mars and Larry Finkelstein. Again, I've been doing it since 09. But I was vice chair for a few years. And then um, they were looking for an assistant dean of clerkship. And I put my name in and they chose me. And then 
Um, the COVID happened and Dr. Joe Kazmarczyk became the interim dean at Swanee campus of PCOM. And I became associate dean and that's where I'm at. So it's wow. a long story. Hopefully, hopefully it, it's not too boring, but that that's how I kind of got to where I'm at right now. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's actually interesting. I feel like a, at least a handful of my attendings along the way in rotations have been folks that did a year or two of OBGYN training and then sort of found their passion more so in family medicine. So that's interesting. And it's also yeah. nice to hear all the famous PCOM names and ACOFP <laughs> names that I now know sort of pop yeah. up your stories. So that's great. What's one of the cool things about being an osteopathic physician is we are ultimately a smaller community and we all are connected to each other in some way. And certainly through ACOFP and the Department of Family Medicine, I have um, some excellent long relationships with many people that are my friends and colleagues. And I'm very, that's one of the best things about doing what I do. Yeah. So. Well, I think on behalf of PCOM students, we're happy that you came back. <laughs> <laughs> I hope uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is like your maybe favorite part about being sort of still involved in academic medicine? Um, I, I think my, my definitely my favorite part is the fact that I'm involved in, in teaching and mentoring colleagues. You know, I, I, I look, this whole thing that we do in academic medicine is we're training people to become colleagues you know, um, after you get the DO degree, after you do your residency, these are people that I refer to, that I send my family to. And it gives me uh, a lot of joy and pride that I'm able to be involved in a process where we're forming more osteopathic physicians. Yeah, it's cool to see people advance through their careers. That's that's sort of an honor that you get to see, I guess. It, it's a, it is an honor. It's it's an honor that I I hold in high regard. Yeah. I guess on the flip side of that, is there anything that you don't particularly like about being in medical education? Well, sure. I mean, we all have good days and bad days on the job. <laughs> um, I, th I think one of the things that's hard is um, when a student is not successful. Um, and students invest lots of money, time, energy. Um, and for some students, it's not the right fit. Um, there is many ways in which a student can enter a career that can help people. You know, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And some of them might not be a career in osteopathic medicine. And that doesn't mean someone's a failure. It just means that they need to explore another avenue to do what they profess to do, which is to help and change uh, uh, patients' lives for the better. So that, that's kind of the hard part when, when you get involved with some students that are having different difficulties and we have to make some decisions. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be difficult to have those conversations, but... Mm -hmm. Um, are there any changes that you foresee coming about in sort of the future of medical education? Um, I think, you know, the, the one change well, that's happening is um, the, uh, the creation and enlarging uh, class sizes of MD and DO students, the, the increased campuses, the new schools in the DO world, the 
the the expansion of the campuses in the MD world. Um, that is something that is still ongoing and it's just exploding. And um, I, I get very worried about that, excuse me, because um, there's only a finite amount of, of graduate medical education spots in this country. And the it's great that we're creating more physicians because there is a need, you know, people my age and older are retiring or have retired. And there is a need, especially for family medicine. There's a clear need for primary care physicians, family physicians, DO family physicians. The problem is there's now, and we're getting larger and larger graduates and the spots are not increasing exponentially like the campus sizes are. And um, that that's one of the hard uh, things that's happening right now and it's continuing on into the future. Um, so, I mean, it, it would be easily answered if the government could expand GME um, or if the private industry could find other ways to train uh, graduates of osteopathic medicine to become, you know, um, uh, finish their residency programs, whatever it may be. Um, but that that's what's going on. I, I Now, Along the same lines, the continuum between undergraduate medical education and graduate medical education, I think there is a good thing in that we are now trying to work on the continuum. So in other words, before it was always, well, you got med school and then you got residency. And there's no good transition between the two. And when you think about learning and the learner, because a, a resident is a learner, there needs to be improved communication between the medical school and the residency program so that the residency program can um, be more uh, or develop more individualized uh, learning for each resident because every student and every resident has different learning styles and we want everyone to be successful and, and some ways that you have to do that is understand what the learning style is of the learner and then, then work to capitalize on how their style uh, is uh, manifested um, by the by the learner. So I, you know, with the uh, the accountability um, uh, group that's ACOM and AMA and ACGME, uh, one of the items that they're working on is the the clear transition between a medical school graduate into his or her residency so as to improve the success of the resident so i think that's a really good change yeah sounds like it and if we could sort of keep up with um they, there's still such a high need for primary care docs so if the gme could sort of keep up with that need that would be great to get more residents and trained and out there but we'll see i guess <laughs> well i think um i mean I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of DOs that want to do primary care and a lot of do family for medicine, but right. the government also has to work on increasing the reimbursement for family physicians for sure. so that students who are graduating with huge debt are able to pay their debt and have a healthy career. Um, unfortunately, it's the economics that is dissuading a lot of great potential family docs into moving out of family medicine just because they want to be able to pay their bills. And um, that has to change. That must change. Yeah, I definitely agree there. 
Um, and you also still see patients, right? So yeah. how does that balance with your sort of responsibilities as Dean and all the other things that you have to do? <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, it's difficult. I only see patients now a half day a week. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been doing it that way for the last, I guess, three years, um, at least just one half day a week. Um, and believe it or not, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, you need to, it's a challenge to keep up on the lab tests and the x-ray reports and the console letters. Uh, that's a challenge. I mean, being able to see patients a half day a week, it's maybe I uh, might see 10 or 12 people. It's actually a delight for me. It's a beautiful change. It's a nice respite from administration um, because it's something that I've been doing for 30 plus years and I know how to do it. And I'm seeing patients most of the patients I see are patients that have been with me for, for decades. But it's it's um, working with families and working with people that you have known for years so that you can tailor your treatment program to affect the changes that they need. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it is a challenge sometimes. Um, sometimes it's hard because you gotta be at a meeting. And I, like many physicians, will run over time. And, I got, I'll be late or miss a meeting because I'm still seeing my patients, but so far my bosses are tolerant of that. Um, so that hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Uh, but it is, I know just been speaking with Dr. Veit who still sees patients half day a week, you know, Dr. Kuo, who's associate dean of graduate medical education sees patients a half day a week. So we all wanna keep at it because that's what we signed up for when we went to medical schools to take care of patients. And none of us want to give that up. And our patients are very tolerant of that. They're understanding of that. They know that we have other responsibilities. Um, but what, what's also great is that I have excellent colleagues in the practice who I know will take care of the patients if I'm not there. So if somebody's sick, you come in and you see Dr. Biddy, or you see Dr. Tanaka, or you see Dr. Kuo, you know, we all cover for each other. Yeah, it's nice to have that support. And it's nice that you've been able to keep the continuity of some of those patients through your career too. So it's, it's good that you still have that. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. It's very rewarding to see patients. Um, so yeah. How has um, being a member of ACFP sort of impacted your career or how has that been a sort of through line through things? Well, um, certainly being a member of ACOP really helped my career when I was a residency director, um, because um, one thing that we would do as program directors of all the, the DO programs in the country is we would have a program director's workshop a day or two before the ACOFP March meeting. So we would go out there with the residency directors and we would have faculty development for us. Um, and in doing that, I met some of my best friends and colleagues ever in Pennsylvania and Jersey. Um, so that personally was extremely rewarding for me that it gave me that opportunity to meet people that I still work with or, or, um, or am, am involved in their network. Um, and like I had said earlier, it was at an ACOFP meeting that Dr. Morris had the idea of branding the suburban emergency suburban program to be PCOM. And 
you know, with ACUFP, I was able to do things like lecture in the intensive board review, um, lecture for OMED, um, run the, I ran the program director workshop for three years in a row. So all of those experiences made me a better teacher, made me a better administrator, um, uh, made me, uh, uh, gave me opportunities to challenge myself. You know, it's one thing to teach students, but when you go up at OMED and you have to give a lecture for family, attending family physicians, it's pretty scary. Sure. And, um, you know, you, you get, you get GI upset, obviously, before you do that. But once you do something like that, then you feel comfortable doing it again and again. And, you know, so I think ACFP has helped me with that. Um, being able and being honored to be a delegate for Pennsylvania at the House of Delegates, understanding the whole process of organizations and organizational structure, how to how to write a resolution, you know, what a reference committee is, you know, Robert's rules, like all those things. It, it, it might sound funny, but there are things that I learned because of ACFP. Um, and uh, it's given me lots and lots of connections with people that do academic medicine as well as private practice that, you know, can help my students, whether it's on getting a rotation or getting a residency. Um, uh, ACFP fostered that. That's fantastic to hear, especially I think as a fourth year student who's been involved in ACFP, hopefully making the transition to residency, it's nice to see that you've been involved throughout all the stages of your career and ACFP has kind of been there along the way. That's always good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I mean, again, being old, um, ACFP was ACGP. You know, when I was board certified, I was certified as a general practitioner. And oh, then, a, then ACGP evolved with the times. Instead of being GPs, we became family physicians. And um, so the name change of the organization. But um, but yeah, I've been a member of AC, ACUFP, I guess now since I was a first year medical student, because we could do it for free, right? Exactly. That's the big plus. <laughs> it is a big plus. And I always have students, I recommend that they always get involved in organized medicine because that helps to foster our own careers, no matter what we do, and to make sure that we're supporting physicians together to affect positive change for our patients and for ourselves. Right. So yeah. always getting involved. Yeah. Always getting involved. I appreciate involved. you sharing your, your story and all the, the things that you've gone through to be a part of family medicine and through ACFP. Is there something, or I guess one thing that you'd like to leave with students, maybe advice or encouragement? Um, I guess the one thing that I, I, I use, and I say it a lot because it, it means so much to me, is to remind students always, it's about the patient. If, you, if a student remembers it's about the patient and uses that as their touchstone, it will keep the, the student who becomes the resident, who becomes the attending, it'll keep the individual grounded so that he or she can give the best possible care they can. Um, so reminding students that, I mean, again, being a physician, we all have really great ego integrity. You know, <laughs> that's probably what got us to where we are, whether it's medical school or residency. That's how, that's how we're wired. That's in our DNA. But we need to always remember that 
we're doing this because we're taking care of somebody else. And I think if you keep that in mind, you'll always be successful. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. It's been great to hear about your trajectory through family medicine and, and the different things you can do within family medicine. So thanks so much for your time. It's been great to chat. Oh, thank you again. I appreciate it. It was an honor to speak to you. And um, again, I, I am very thankful that you asked me to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.